Thanks for listening to the Valley Point Church Podcast. We hope it's a blessing to you. So I mentioned we have a surprise today in that email. We're in Philippians chapter 2 today as we continue this theme, an unusual view of life. And really today we get into some heartfelt expressions from this personal letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to God's holy people in the ancient city of Philippi. I really believe Philippians chapter 2 is one of the most profound passages in all of Scripture. It's just amazing. And we have a guest teacher today to walk us through this great passage. I'm excited to introduce to you Dr. Shannon Lamb. Shannon serves with InterVarsity Christian Fellowship in the U.S. and abroad, and she'll talk to you a little bit about that. She trains staff and students to explore and live radical faith for Jesus. She is passionate about honest engagement with and the creative application of the Word of God. At Missio Seminary in Philadelphia, where Shannon received her Master of Divinity, and Doctorate of Ministry. She is a professor there. Shannon and her husband, Dave, who is also a professor at Missio, live in Souderton, Pennsylvania. It's a joy to welcome you to Valley Point Church. I'm jealous because I think you get a great passage of scripture, and I'm really excited about what Shannon is going to share with all of us. So will you give a warm Valley Point welcome to Dr. Shannon Lamb. Thank you for that. It's really great to be here. I'm really excited um, to be a part of this series. I love the theme of living into the story of Jesus. Um, Eric asked me to share a little bit about myself. Um, he actually said a lot of what I want to say, but I'll show you pictures. Uh, so uh, I am married, to, as they introduced me in Africa, I am the wife of one husband. Um, and he's an Old Testament scholar and professor. We have two grad school uh, ki kids in grad school uh, who um, are both really fun and funny and compassionate young men. Um, my day job is that I work with InterVarsity. It's a ministry to college students on college campus, and I train our staff and some of our student leaders both here and in Liberia on the west coast of Africa. Uh, I did get my doctorate in experiential discipleship. I'll explain that in a minute. Uh, and my um, side hustle. Anybody else got a side hustle? All right, my side hustle is I'm a part-time adjunct professor at the seminary. And my first class this year starts tomorrow night. Uh, oh, and then something a little bit more personal. Uh, for when my husband and I, for our 25th anniversary, we decided to get certified. <laughs> Uh, just scuba dive. I love being under the water looking at fish. So, um, like I said, we're in this series of a, an, an unusual view of life, living the story of Jesus. And as Eric said, we hit this amazing passage, which is maybe just a wee bit daunting to teach on. <laughs> so would you pray with me? Jesus, would you settle me into you? 
and into your word. Would you settle us to hear your voice, not my voice, but your voice? You know what it took to get up and to get here. I well remember and actually know from this morning the chaos of getting ready to be at church. And we pray that you would just settle us because we don't want to miss you. That's why we came. So Spirit, would you speak to all of us, me included? Would you help us to love your word and to see you and love you more? This comes from our heart. In your name, amen. So I mentioned that um, my doctorate's in experiential discipleship. Uh, and sort of in short, that's that I think we learn to be disciples of Jesus with our whole selves, not just our minds, not just our emotions, but also our will and even our bodies. Um, so with that, I would like you to use your body and just hold your hands out in front of you. And as you do this, I want you to pay attention to what you feel, right? So like the initial feeling might be, I feel stupid because you're making me do this. But, but get beyond that and think, how does it feel to sit there with empty hands, right? I was raised that you never show up anywhere with empty hands. You always bring something. Does it make you feel vulnerable, exposed? Does it make you feel expectant? I've got empty hands. Maybe somebody's going to put something in them, <laughs> right? Pay attention to that feeling of emptiness. I'm going to read the passage, but you can put your hands down when you want. So begin Philippians 2. Paul says, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Now, you may notice that I, um, in this text, I highlighted it. Now, this is because I'm a pretty visual person. Um, and uh, when I read the Bible, I can read it really fast without stopping and taking the time to notice. And so I find marking up repeated words and ideas actually helps me see the text and slow down. The other reason I do this is like when Paul was writing, um, he's writing in prison, and he's, you know, writing this letter out, uh, he doesn't have the bold function, right? He can't put things in italics, right? He can't say, hey, for the next 1,500 years until Gutenberg invents that press, would you make this word particularly dark, right? So how does he emphasize what's important? He repeats words, so they stand out to you. And when I look at this, one of the words that stands out to me is this word any, right? If there's any encouragement, any comfort, any participation, any affection, right? And I, I will confess to you that my first take on this is, dang, Paul, that's a little manipulative, right? <laughs> you know, if there's any of this. 
But then I, I had to step back and say, well, why would he say this? And you have to remember that, that Paul, Paul's kind of a giant, right? He had a personal encounter with the Lord Jesus that knocked him off his horse. He's an apostle. He's a missionary. He's been planting churches all over. He planted the Philippians church, right? He's going to write half of the New Testament. And I think it could be easy as when you're receiving this letter, especially if you're this little small church and under Roman oppression, to think, we can't do this. I mean, Paul could do that, but not us, right? Like, not me. I mean, I live in Sauterton, Pennsylvania, right? I live on Cowpath Road. I mean, how less significant can you get? Right? But I think what Paul is saying is, hey, 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 no, 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 no. If there's any sympathy, if there's any encouragement, if you have even a little tiny experience of the Spirit, you can do this, right? It doesn't have to, you don't have to have a seminary degree. You don't have to be a small group leader. You don't have to be on the elder board. If you've experienced something of Jesus, you can do this, right? And then conversely, he's saying, if you're not doing this, maybe we need to ask, have you experienced anything of God? Because this is really important. The next thing he says is, it's like to add, you know, he's kind of like, ooh, ooh, making us want to do this. The next thing he says is, um, if you've done this, make my joy complete, right? In other words, if you do this, it will make me really happy. How many of y'all watched the Oscars last week? Okay, a couple people. Um, at the end, which we made, I stayed up way too late, uh, Bong Joon-ho won the award for best director, and in his speech, he looks out to Martin Scorsese, who also was up for that award, and he says to him, it's because of you. It's your movies. I have studied them. I have read your scripts. I have read your notes. And it's because of you that I was able to do this. And the camera turns and pans and looks at Scorsese's face, and he is beaming just delighted and he's like this and he says you know it's the the joy of having been a part of this person becoming this amazing creative director now here's the thing martin scorsese never mentored bong joon ho he never sent him letters he never taught a course with him he, he, he didn't even know him but just the fact that he influenced this amazing creative man who created this stunning movie gave him joy. And I think that's what Paul is saying. He's like, if you live into who Jesus created you to be, if you be this community that looks like Jesus, it is going to make me so happy and so blessed that I got to be a part of your story. So what is it then? that he calls us to. He says, right, you could do this. Even if you have a little bit, you can do it. It's going to make me super happy when you do. What is it? He says, be of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and one mind. Right? Which, I don't know about you, but when I read that, I'm like, what is that? Right? Like, is that some kind of group think? 
you know, because I'm, I'm not really into giving up my own independent thinking process, right? You know, I don't know if you're old enough or if you're a Trekkie, but like, I tend to think, is he talking about the Borg? You know, this sort of mind meld thing that where people lose their independent thought. Um, and, and that's actually not at all what he's talking about. The word he uses there is autos, which is um, actually just the reflexive pronoun, right? It's myself, herself, himself, themselves. Um, and he says, be an ourself, right? Don't be a myself. Be an ourself with each other. Care about one another in the same way that you care about yourself, which really, really presses up against our culture, those of us who are born and raised in the U.S., because our culture is a little bit more like this. Mine, 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 right? We are taught to look out for number one. Raise yourself up by your bootstraps. If you don't look out for you, who will? Right? And Paul says, uh-uh, uh-uh. Don't be an autos one, or even with your immediate family. Be an ourself with your community. Love one another the way you love yourself. Somebody else said that, didn't they? Right? You know, care, for, look to the needs of others. Don't just get stuck in your own. Now, it's fascinating, actually, because the early church was known for this. Um, there are Roman records that record the atheists. So Christians were called atheists because they didn't believe in the Roman gods. So, but the atheists were really astounding because they not only cared for their poor, wonder of wonders, but they cared for the Roman poor as well, right? They looked not only to their own needs, but to the needs and interests of others. And I think, you know, they, 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 and the word there that look to is, um, is to fix your attention on, to pay attention, to notice, and to consider that what's going on for somebody else is at least as important as what's going on for you. And when I look at this, I think, wow, that's really beautiful, Paul. Oh, I love that. Until I start thinking about my own life, right? Because, I, I mean, I've got two jobs. I have two kids who are learning to adult. Um, and I have a, a widowed mom, a recently widowed mom on the West Coast. And when I think about it, I think my, my autos is full, right? I've, I've got just about enough autos here. I, I, how in the world am I supposed to care and pay attention to other people? Right? Anybody else with me? Anna? Right? Well, I think Paul ad actually goes on to address that question and gives us three answers. Why should we do this? How do we do this? The first one is because we follow Jesus. And if you're here and you're not like a follower of Jesus, totally feel free to eavesdrop because this is, this is what we're about. And I hope that you see and wonder at who Jesus is in this. But those of us who do follow Jesus, we need to actually follow him. And he sets an example, and here it is. Paul says, have this mind, this autos, among yourselves, which is yours in Christ, who, though he was in the form of God, didn't count equality with God as something to be grasped. But he emptied himself, taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of a man, and being found in human form, he humbled himself 
by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So Jesus, who was equal to God, who had all of the comfort and power and glory and, and, and no suffering of God, right? Jesus, who created stars and chocolate, right? That he emptied himself of that and became a human. And not just any human. He became a, a, a servant. And not just a servant, he became a servant who was willing to die. And not just die, but die a death on the cross. Right? The word in the text is harpagamos. Jesus did not grasp. He did not cling to. He did not seize or view it as his prize. His position and his power and his privilege and his comfort. But he emptied himself. Um, I think uh, given that we're invited to use Jesus as our model, this is probably a good point to stop and to think and to reflect and say, well, what is it that I grasp? Right? What is it that I harpagamos? Right, that I seize or hold on to or long for or consider my prize. You know, is it maybe comfort? Maybe security? Kind of knowing that everything's going to be okay. Um, control? Intimacy with other people? Oh, if I just had. I don't want to offend because I don't want to lose that. This year, God um, showed me that the thing that I was clinging to, I, I wasn't aware of this, but the thing that I was clinging to was my reputation, right? I, um, I really, I, you know, I want people to think well of me, right? I want people to think, you know, I'm at least a decent teacher. I want people to think of me as a kind person. Um, I'm really passionate about reconciliation and cross-cultural um, engagement. So I want people to think of me as being someone who's sophisticated and nuanced and able to do that. And um, this year, uh, a woman, a Latina woman that I had hurt in the past, um, I was leading a Bible study and I made a mistake and said something that made her feel alienated and not welcome. Now, when that happened, we had reconciled, I had thought, but this year, um, that pain of that got triggered by other things. And so she wrote a letter to 58 people in my organization and explained how deeply and profoundly I had hurt her. Um, and then this got sent up through the chain of command. And so every leader in InterVarsity has read this letter. And it undid me. Right? Like, rather than being able to go, well, I am a broken person who makes mistakes, and I am loved by Jesus. I, I didn't feel that. I was absolutely devastated that somebody else was controlling the narrative about me, and I couldn't fix it. And it made me insecure, and it made me, like, lack confidence. It affected my teaching. It affected my relationship. It affected my sleep because I was grasping I had no idea how tightly I held on to my reputation. But Jesus isn't like that. He empties his hands 
And while the text explicitly calls attention to the fact that he, he leaves heaven and becomes human and a servant, we do well to remember that, that those things aren't an end in and of themselves, right? Jesus didn't die on a cross because he's a masochist or because he was supposed to die on a cross. He died on a cross because he loves us. He died on a cross to break the power of sin, right? Gone, gone. He died on the cross to bring reconciliation between us and God and between us and other people to establish his kingdom and justice, to kill the power of death. That's why he died. Jesus, um, uh, in, uh, in um, Hebrews 12, it says, uh, for the joy that was set before him, Jesus endured, <coughs> excuse me, endured the cross, despising the shame. Right. He died on the cross for joy, for the, the joy of restoring the world and restoring relationship with us. You see, Jesus didn't get born in, in Bethlehem just to fulfill a prophecy. He came and was born and lived among us because he is Emmanuel, God with us, that he longs to be with his people like in the garden, right? That he loves being near and eating with people, and that is the God that we know. Um, that's the Jesus that you see, right? He's not sort of doing something because he's supposed to. He's doing it because he loves us, right? That's the God you see when you read the New Testament stories of him, that, that he absolutely delights in being with people, right? So there's this story, um, one of my favorites, where Jesus is uh, he's going to do something really important, right? He's, uh, he's going to heal the daughter of an important person. There's a huge crowd of people around. Everybody's really excited about this. And as he is going, <coughs> this woman comes and touches the back of his cloak because she also wants healing, but she doesn't think she's important enough or significant enough to merit Jesus's time or attention. And you know what Jesus does? He stops that whole procession and he turns to her and he listens to her whole story. Twelve years of medical struggles, of pain, of isolation, alienation. And he listens to her as if there is nowhere in the world he would rather be than being with her seeing her and affirming her faith, right? Now, all of this is why people are yelling, Jesus, Jesus, <coughs> we got to get to Jairus, right? This is Jesus, <coughs> excuse me, who becomes Emmanuel because he loves to be with us because we are important to him. That is why he lets go of power and privilege and position. I get a taste of this sometimes when I go to Liberia. Because I'm American and because I have all these degrees, people want to honor me, right? And what it means to be honored is they want to put me on a stage and they want to take me to restaurants and to hotels. But I, I don't go to Liberia to be on a stage or in restaurants. 
I want to be with people. And yes, it means letting go of privilege, sometimes air conditioning. <laughs> uh, but what I love is when people invite me into their homes and I get to eat with them and be with them. I go to Liberia because I love Liberians. Jesus came and let go of his privilege because he loves us. Jesus calls us to consider other people more important than ourselves to invite us into loving those around us. To take our eyes, when we take our eyes off ourselves, we see and love others. So this, yeah, this sister that um, I had um, wounded so badly and then I wrote this letter that wounded me. After about a year for each of us of struggling with God, um, over what that meant and our wounds and where was Jesus in all of that, we had a conversation to reconcile. And I'll tell you, before that conversation, I was terrified. I asked a whole bunch of friends to pray for me because I just did not know how it was going to go. But you see, God had worked in each of us. And rather than the conversation being, well, you hurt me and well, you did this and I can't believe you did this and how could you? It was, oh my gosh, tell me more about how that affected you. I'm so, so sorry. Right? He was seeking to understand what God had enabled us to take our eyes off ourselves and onto the other. And it was one of the most beautiful, healing, reconciling conversations. And I can tell you, she is becoming a dear friend. Jesus invites us to let go of ourselves so that we can be people who love. The second reason I think that Jesus gives is that there is a God. So if we read in our text. Therefore, God has exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Right? That Jesus, when he is willing to let go, he can let go because he trusts that God is the one who is looking out for him. That when Jesus empties himself, he trusts that God will fill his hands. Um, that he, Jesus can endure the shame and the mocking and the beating and the turning away of people he loves because he knows that God will bring honor and life. Um, I need to confess to you that very often um, while I teach this, I live as a practical atheist. Right? Like it's, I, I, I believe, I, I say, I know, but if you were to look at my life, if God didn't exist, it might not make that much of a difference, right? Like, so when Jesus calls me to love people, very often I'm willing to love people if I can see how it will work out. But if I can't, then it, it's a little harder. Do you know? Right? Or like even this week when I'm thinking about, you know, preparing and wanting to be, you know, serve this congregation well, um, Jesus has also given a command to have a Sabbath, 
But just actually, can I just say it aside? That's an amazing thing that we have a God who rather than saying work hard for me, says I want you to take a day off a week where you just rest and enjoy, catch up on your sleep, hang out with your family, take a little extra time to pray. Right? What, a, what an amazing thing. There's no God like that anywhere else. Right? It's this great commandment that's super hard to obey because I've got all this stuff to do. Right? You know? <coughs> will you trust, Shannon? Will you open your hand? Or will you live as if God's existence didn't matter? Right? Does that make sense? You're all staring at me. Okay. Maybe you guys are all have better faith than I do. Um, you should be up here. <laughs> but you see, if it's God who honors, if it's God who provides, we do not need to be protective, defensive, selfish, or calculating. Because God will take care of us. I remember the first time that that became clear for me. Um, I was on staff with InterVarsity. It was my first year on staff. I was living in South Central Los Angeles. And I was being mentored by somebody who was teaching me how to love people who were experiencing homelessness. And one of the things he said was, don't just give people money. Treat them like humans. Think about what is it that they really need. And if you want to give them something, give them what they really need. So I was hanging out with this homeless guy, and he said what he really needed was a bed and a shower. So I had $40 in my wallet, and I took him uh, to an inexpensive motel, and I bought him a night there. And then I realized there's not $40 in the ATM to replace this. Um, and and I, I was driving home, and I'm thinking, Shannon, what an idiot. What a stupid, naive idiot. You can never tell your parents about this, right? You know, they're just like, what have you done? How, who's going to take care of you? How are you going to survive? And I was just feeling like, ugh. So I go to bed, I sleep. The next night morning, I get up, and I go to my mailbox, and there's a letter from some in an address I don't know. It's like in Illinois somewhere. And so I open it, and I'm reading it, and there's a check for 40 bucks. And it's from my college roommate's mother, who writes, I was praying, and God brought you to mind, and I think he told me to give you 40 bucks. Is that weird? Praise God, right? And I'm like, that's not weird. It's amazing. There's a God, right? And so I'm like out on 32nd Avenue. I'm like dancing. <laughs> There's a God and he sees me, right? And I need to remember this when my faith is a little flat. Because I think so often I live in a way that if there's no God, it doesn't really matter. But when I trust him and he puts me in difficult places, there's a place for him to rescue me. Psalm 50 says, call on me in the day of trouble. I will rescue you and you will glorify me. I think this invitation to live with our hands open is an invitation to know and experience God more deeply and profoundly. The third reason he gives us is community. So you see, Jesus calls us, or Paul calls us, to look out to the needs of others. And my automatic question is, if I'm looking out for every other people, who's looking out for me? And here's the answer. It's your community. Right? And I think the math is in our favor. Right? If I'm looking out for a couple people, there's a whole lot of other people who are looking out for me. 
Um, and it's a beautiful and free way to live. Um, last April, a uh, week before I was to go to Liberia, I broke my foot. I stepped on um, something, rolled my foot, and cracked two bones as in a boot. Um, I wasn't, I was kind of scared about what is that going to mean for me to be, you know, traveling by myself to Africa, wandering around with this boot on. Um, and so I was in my Sunday school class at my church, and I asked people to pray for me. I go to sit down, and um, this woman, Beth, starts rummaging through her purse. And, and then she goes, ha! And she pulls out a $100 bill and hands it to me. And I'm like, whoa, Beth, what is this? And she goes, this, this is what you are going to use to tip every person who wheels you through an airport in a wheelchair. And I said, I'm not doing that. I don't need it. And she goes, yes, see, right? She goes, I know you won't do that. I know you won't receive help. I know you will hobble through Belgium and Casablanca and Sierra Leone, but you need this. And this is what you're going to use to tip them. And so she knew that if she handed me that, I actually would. <laughs> right? And so I did. I, you know, I, for the first time in my life, I got, like, help from wheelchair people, and I got to talk with and pray for some of them. And I sent her pictures of the people who were wheeling, and Beth was super happy. Um, it was this amazing experience of not being autos, but being autos. And knowing that God was caring for me because somebody else saw me. And that not only gave me joy, it gave Beth joy. Because it is joy to be able to influence and love other people, right? So Beth was joyful, like Martin Scorsese was joyful, like Paul is joyful, like Jesus is joyful. See, this invitation to live this uncommon view of life, to live into the story of Jesus, is an invitation I think that's meant to bless us, both as we receive and give, but it also blesses our community. That as we live this way, people see and smell Jesus. Right? I can't tell, I don't have time to tell you stories, but if I had, did, I have so many stories of people who would say, how do you get friends like that? Why do you guys love each other like that? And I could say, come and see. I'll show you. His name's Jesus. Would you hold out your hands? I think this passage is an invitation to live in an uncommon way, to walk in the story of Jesus. And so I want us to think, what is it that Jesus is specifically inviting you Maybe it's something that came to mind that you need to not grasp and trust him with. Maybe it's a, a commitment to try to not be a practical atheist and manage everything, but put yourself in a place where you might actually need God. Maybe it's an invitation to look around and notice and care for people like my friend Beth did. Maybe if you're new, it's an invitation to read the stories of Jesus and get to know him better. Would you just say, what is it that Jesus wants to put in your hands? What is he inviting you to?
And what would it look like to say yes this week? For me, that's going to be reaching out to a couple of my friends who I know are hurting and not just be so caught up in my busyness. Jesus, thank you that when you invite us into this life of loving other people more than we love ourselves, of paying attention, of being like you, that you invite us to a place where we can know you more, where you give us joy and freedom. Would you bless us as we seek to obey? Amen. Thanks for listening. If you call Valley Point Church home or would like to make a donation, please go to valleypointchurch.com slash online giving. If you're in need of prayer, we would love to serve you in that way. Send us a message at prayer at valleypointchurch.com. Be blessed.